Welcome to the Vancouver Tech Podcast, episode 73. I'm your host, Drew Grizzik, and we're here with our special guest, Keith Ippel, CEO and founder of Spring Activator. Thanks, Drew. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks so much for uh, for coming out. So you've got a pretty busy day planned uh, going out to SFU. What's happening out there? Yeah, so Startup Hacks is uh, happening. It's an interdisciplinary, uh, inter-school hackathon that's been running for a few months. Today's the final day. So myself and a couple of other folks are going to be doing keynotes around noon. And then from there, they're going to go into the final prep, the uh, pitching and the judging and then the awarding of the prizes. So pretty excited about that. Very cool. So have you been involved with this before? I have been through this year. It's been a fantastic journey. They've got a lot of amazing kids. What I'll tell you is the high school kids are killing it. They're doing such a fantastic job, really competing on par with some of the undergrad kids. So um, pretty amazing to see. So I think it makes sense. Uh, someone like yourself, very involved in uh, in the community, in the tech community, in the startup community, uh, also being involved in education and uh, sort of a hackathon, also potentially leading to startups and things like that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Spring, about uh, how you got involved in it, your motivation, and what Spring is? Sure. So Spring is a startup school for entrepreneurs who want to change the world. And so really what we do is we help people go from idea on a napkin through to about a million dollars a year in revenue. The reason we call ourselves a startup school is because we have recognized that the startup world has been attracting people from the mainstream. It's no longer about people with just tech backgrounds, but it's people with a diverse range of backgrounds with some amazing ideas and they're trying to catalyze them. So incubation and acceleration is at the core of what we do. We just use language that is more inclusive. And we do that headquartered here in Vancouver. We also have city partners in over 30 cities around the world. So that would include places like Belgrade, Lagos, Tokyo, Manila, Seattle, San Francisco, amongst others. And here in Vancouver, we've helped about 350 entrepreneurs to launch about 200 businesses, create about 200 jobs, and through our funding programs, raising about $7.5 million in early stage capital in the last couple of years. And so it's been a fantastic journey. The way that I got into it was through my tech background. I was in the uh, tech startup world for about 10 years and realized two things. One was that tech entrepreneurs did not have a voice and impact. You know, people want to change the world for the better, but how do you find your tribe and how do you find the support to do it? And then the, the recognition that people need the tools and the training and the education and the network on not only startup, but pre-launch at launch, post-launch, in the middle of funding, when you're doing a pivot. And so we wanted to create an environment where people could get that help at any point in time in that early stage entrepreneurial journey. So those are a lot of very interesting things that you brought up. I'd love love to kind of drill down into each of them individually. But I also uh, noticed that you mentioned in a lot of different cities. Now, do different cities bring with them different cultures, different landscapes, and different ways of solving those problems or even approaching them? Well, that's a fantastic question. And the short answer is yes. And and there's a few reasons for that. Uh, One, of course, is uh, language and culture uh, creates different methods by which people tackle problems and by which they go about the process, for example, of launching business, thinking about things like co-founder, thinking about things like funding. 
In addition to that, uh, we also have different characteristics based on economics. So, for example, in Belgrade, you know, they're about 10 years out of a civil war. Prior to that, they were a communist country. So the early stage investment capital, angel investors, uh, funding programs are non-existent. And so they are very much a bootstrap culture. Then, you know, you go over to Seattle, you know, and it's vibrant and it's happening and there's rich capital available and there's a lot of education. Uh, so you see these different dynamics. What I would say is that when you go into uh, cities in developing countries, they tend to solve what I will call uh, real problems first, like problems that really impact individuals and societies first, because that's the problems they're facing. Do you have any examples of that? Yeah. So fantastic question. Uh, the one example I will give you is a company in um, Africa. And he created a fish farm with an app where people could actually buy the fish directly from him. And he started that because in his region, they had killed the lake through overfishing. And so literally the fish, the lake has no fish. And so he started a fish farm in swimming pools, abandoned swimming pools. He actually created some mechanical technology to help um, optimize the process of growing fish. And then he created the app upon which people could directly purchase. So interestingly enough, it interfaces with WhatsApp. A hundred percent of his business is transacted in e-commerce on WhatsApp. So he knows more about WhatsApp than any entrepreneur I know in North America. It's incredible. So, and that's in the middle of Tanzania. Fantastic. Very cool. And so that impacts people sort of directly. That's a real problem because that's dealing with food, I suppose, or ecosystem um, lakes being overfished. But now if you have a market, I guess, then you also have the capital and you have uh, a real reason to be farming fish. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, very interesting. So now let's tie this back to uh, to Vancouver. What's the landscape like here? What's the uh, tech scene like here? You mentioned before something like Belgrade, I believe, which uh, is kind of post-communist. And so it has its own sort of culture and, and set of ways of uh, doing things and is very bootstrapped. And you kind of compared that a little bit to somewhere like Seattle, where, you know, um, they've got a lot of the major tech companies uh, from there and uh, have their own personality. You bet. And, but what about Vancouver? Where does Vancouver sort of fit into this? You know, Vancouver is a pretty unique environment. So, you know, honestly, thank goodness we're not talking about Silicon Valley North anymore. You know, Vancouver has its own dynamics, its own strengths, its own weaknesses, but some core characteristics. We have a rich post-secondary education environment, and we have a strong focus in places like healthcare, fintech, um, e-commerce and marketplace and uh, impact businesses as well. We have a pretty rich heritage in hardware. So people like Recon Instruments and people like uh, D-Wave, for example, on the quantum computing side. So we have a really interesting environment uh, to work with here. And uh, we also have good segmentation in accelerators. So we have a health tech accelerator. We have a clean tech accelerator. We have mobile wireless. We have impact. We have early stage like Launch Academy. Uh, we have impact plus tech like Spring. And so we have some fantastic ecosystem support. And then the last unique characteristic, we have actually a phenomenal amount of capital that has come here from Asia. And they're very comfortable with Vancouver as being the bridge point between North America and Asia. And so that actually gives us a unique access to capital that many other cities don't have. Very cool. So that was actually something I was I was wondering. It seems to me, and I could be wrong, and you might be, I'm sure you are, in a much better position to, to inform me of this. But it seems to me that oftentimes Canadians, uh, Vancouverites as well, uh, as 
being Canadian, are, are often very much focused on uh, local solving local problems or having a business and who's going to use it locally, maybe nationwide, but not necessarily thinking globally. Hmm. Uh, and it feels like a lot of the times these companies coming out of uh, the States are thinking, whether they're thinking local or global, they end up solving problems that are used globally. Uh, is that something that you see? And is there is there a reason to try and tackle that? So I actually see two parts to that. The first part is, we are Canadian, right? And so Canadians by nature, a little bit more conservative than certain cultures, like say the American culture or the Dutch culture or say the Hong Kong culture. So we tend to be like, hey, I'm going to start here. I'm going to solve a local problem. Then I'm going to expand maybe to be the rest of BC, the rest of Canada. Then I'll go to the States. So inherently conservative by nature. And so we really do need to acknowledge, as we all talk about here with real estate, we are a global community now. We're a global city. We're cosmopolitan. We need to acknowledge that and then step out into our role in the global community. I do think that that's a, that's a big part of it. The one challenge, though, that is born out of that is when you're trying to solve local problems, it's very easy to do a me too idea. See something in the States and replicate it. See something in Europe and replicate it. And so it really slows down the innovation cycle. I think people in Canada and people in Vancouver have really, really fantastic ideas, but we need to be a little bit more courageous to go after the the new ideas and the original ideas and be a little bit less about Me Too. Okay. So Spring Activator, who is it for? Uh, I have an idea. I, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an aspiring entrepreneur. When would I say I'm ready? What would I need to prepare? What can I expect? Yeah. So think about Spring as your uh, school and your Yoda for early stage entrepreneurship. And so we really hit people in in three main areas. So one is I have an idea, but I don't want to go through life wondering what if. And so what I want to do is I want to touch in and say, hey, how do I validate my idea? And how do I validate that I actually want to be an entrepreneur? And so we have some core programs around that wrapped around our Inspire program. Then once people say, hey, you know what, I am going to go do this, then we have our launch program. And so that's specifically geared to put people into the 10%, right? 90% of businesses fail in the first two years. None of us want to be there. So we're all focused about being in the 10%. And then once you launch, then there is this necessity to just get help when you need it, where you need it for whatever issues you're facing. And so in our particular case, we wrap actually a mastermind or a founder roundtable series, if you will around that where people can get weekly and monthly support such that if today your issue is marketing, then we'll help you tackle marketing. If in three weeks from now it's funding, we'll tackle marketing, but we'll do it in a facilitated peer group environment to help accelerate the process, avoid the rookie mistakes and get to scale fast. Okay. So that's actually very cool. Very informative. What does it mean to be an entrepreneur. If I want to decide, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur. What do I, what's that decision? Yeah, it's a life decision, right? You know, our society, as are most societies, they're wired around taking a job, you know, creating some stability and uh, following sort of a very traditional path. And so being an entrepreneur is about stepping out and taking risk uh, to follow your passion and your dream and to live your values not only in your personal life, but in your day-to-day -day life every single day as a business person. And so it's really about finding a way to have the confidence that when you do that, you're going to have the support that you need to be successful. And so, so for me, that's the core of it. And so 
The interesting thing is today, being an entrepreneur is actually about changing the world for the better. And there's two reasons for that. One is boomers and the second one is millennials, because both uh, demographics are now saying, you know what, whatever I'm going to do every day, it needs to have meaning. It needs to follow my values and it needs to somehow leave the world better than the way that they found it. And so now I think there is this new entrepreneur, let's call them an impact entrepreneur, and that tends to be the core of what's happening today. Are there uh, certain key things you can identify as what's stopping people from becoming entrepreneurs from if entrepreneur almost equates to somebody who's changing the world for the better, right? uh, then what would stop someone from doing that? I can imagine a lot of times people have uh, built up all sorts of excuses such as, oh, it's expensive. I can't quit my job. I'm comfortable. I have a family to support. Um, now those actually might be very valid. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, right? Um, people avoid doing anything because of the fear of the unknown. And so that's actually why, for example, organizations like Spring and Launch Academy, that's why we're purpose built to turn the unknown into the known, because I think people understand their idea, but they don't understand the process to launch or the process to grow. And so that actually holds them back more than anything else. And then the second component is, how do I make money? Because often people have never actually tried to make money. They've been in a role, say, like in a marketing role or if they've been in a finance role where they're not necessarily in charge of revenue. And so demystifying the process of actually funding your business is an important part of that process. Uh, and so, you know, it's interesting, right? I think about my – so my dad was a serial entrepreneur. I'm a serial entrepreneur. And when I think back, you know, there's this interesting component where it used to be that if you were an entrepreneur, you would say, you know what, I got to figure this out on my own. And so thankfully now in the age that we're in, which is, you know, the socially connected internet age and this ecosystem of entrepreneurship age that you actually don't have to do it alone. And that actually will be the final linchpin, I think, to demystifying this process and getting a lot more people into entrepreneurship. That seems like an enormously big cultural shift that we've gone through that we can see in almost every facet of uh, our society. We've gone from uh, this definition of perhaps what a man is, what a woman is, what their roles are in society, um, and kind of keeping things inside, not discussing things, to uh, now it's it's socially acceptable to to have emotion and to talk about things, to, to cry mm. in public. So true. Um, and uh, and I guess when it comes to being an entrepreneur as well, maybe not having all of those answers. I can remember definitely as a boy looking up to my father and actually ha- having a lot of stress, being um, really, really terrified of having to know everything, mm. you know, because yeah, it seemed like he knew everything. And I didn't even know where to look uh, until I realized, oh, online. Now you can just look online and find it, but uh, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that actually helped to relieve a lot of my stress. So uh, – Here's a question I have for you. I'm a software developer. I have a lot of ideas. Uh, I have a lot of things that I think could change the world or, or things I'd like to do. Um, but I'm not really, I'm not really sure what to do about it. Should I reach out to, uh, to Spring? At what stage do I say, okay, I'm ready to start a conversation and where would I go? Yeah. So great question. So let's, you know, you have an idea. As you said, you actually have many ideas. So, the first path that you want to go down is say to yourself, well, if I'm going to start this process, I need to pick an idea uh, because you can't obviously do six at once. And so the important part for everybody is to realize that 
once you have the process for validating an idea, you can actually run through all your ideas pretty quickly. Um, so the important part is just to pick one. And so my recommendation always to for people is when you have a set of ideas, some ideas you think are good ideas and some you're really passionate about. And so what I always recommend is pick the one that you're most objective about, the least passionate about, because then you will actually get the most out of the process without being too emotionally invested in one idea. And so when you're in a place where you can say, hey, listen, I think I've got that idea. That's a great time to reach out to Spring and say, now help me understand the process of defining the problem, defining the target market, and then proving a couple of questions. One is, does anybody care? Like, do they really have the problem? Do they care about my solution? Is anybody going to pay for it? And then in answering those three questions, then you'll automatically, I think, answer the fourth, which is, and do I really want to do it? And so what we find, interestingly enough, is 90% of ideas are good. Only 10% of ideas are bad. But half the entrepreneurs who face a good idea and the prospect of becoming an entrepreneur either say not yet or no. But that's the important part of the process is so to not go through life is that? Why yet. is that not yet or no? Where does that come from? You know what? Not everybody's wired to be an entrepreneur. I think everyone has the capability of being an entrepreneur. Uh, but I, I don't think everybody's wired to do it. And and it comes back to that risk profile that we were talking about a bit earlier. And uh, and then the other one is sometimes life stage, right? You know, um, maybe some young kids at home or maybe paying off student debts. One thing I think, though, that the audience needs to recognize, and you touched on this earlier, is entrepreneurship has changed. I have never seen so many entrepreneurs who are moonlight entrepreneurs while holding their day job where they're do- still effective in their day job, but they're now creating an, a new idea without the risk of quitting their day job. And that seems so, very powerful. I mean, yeah. if you're able to hold on to what you're doing and try something on the side to, until it gets perhaps enough momentum so that you can, uh, I guess, convince yourself that you've got something there. Yep. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's a few companies that I can think of in Vancouver where the co-founders or founder uh, started the business on the side, uh, got to a point where they actually had validated the idea enough, they had proven the market enough, where they said, you know what, I can actually step out in confidence now and quit my job because I know, right, I have customers, some in certain cases, I have revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can think of a company in town, where when they launched three co founders, they had day jobs nine to five, they would call customers on the East Coast from 630 to 730 a.m. Then they jump in the shower, head to work, they check their voicemail at lunchtime, and then at 530, they would all get together and then they'd work on it till about 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night for five months. But in that time, generated $35,000 in revenue to prove that the idea worked. Then they were all ready to quit their jobs, right? So fantastic way to bridge that risk. So that sounds really uh, motivational, inspirational. It sounds like a great way to go, but are you recommending that as the way to go? Is that uh, something that we should be doing or is that sort of an exception? You know... I think we have to recognize that every entrepreneur is different and they have different stages. So I think it's really about the entrepreneur knowing that they have uh, a certain set of constraints, right? Time, money, uh, um, resources, uh, amount of team. And so these are all things that fit in. And so I think it's actually not about yes and no. It's not a binary answer. I think it is look at your context and then make the decision based on the context. This is also where people like Spring and Launch Academy can help 
because we can give an objective opinion about your context and your sandbox to give you some more pointed suggestions. So if I've got some ideas and I kind of want to just test the waters, maybe get into a, a support group almost and, and see if I should be going somewhere with this, maybe as you said, you know, validate the idea, uh, see what it would take, would people buy it, and then do I actually want to do it? What would be the steps that I would take? Uh, how do I reach out? Who do I reach out to? So uh, let's talk about tech-enabled ideas. Uh, and in town, really, there's two core places that you're going to go. So one is uh, Spring and one is Launch Academy. And what I would say is the the difference between the two, to be perfectly honest, is they're both fantastic organizations. Uh, Spring is about, you know, those entrepreneurs who are like, hey, I do want to change the world, you know, uh, intentionally, right? And, uh, and, and Launch Academy is fantastic because they're like, hey, bring any tech idea and we can support you. And so my suggestion is, if you're interested, you want to go to both, uh, both and uh, have great teams, both have great contact v- venues, both have free workshops and free events that allow you to actually sense like what the tribe is like, which tribe is your tribe, and then you can plug into the programs from there. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Keith Ippel of Spring Activator, thank you very much for being on the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YVR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.